Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. It included those and that which were lost. And he came so that we might see. No one sees spiritually unless the Spirit of God opens their eyes. Amen? And that's when we respond by faith and say, yes, Lord, I want to see. So that's why we've gathered this morning in our series, Pursuit. We are looking at the heart of Jesus to seek and save, to pursue those and that which was lost. And that spirit is within us. And if that spirit is within you, you know that longing for there to be the pursuit of those you know who are lost, but also a return of the glory of the kingdom here on earth so that the will of God is done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That has been lost. So uh, to help with us, the idea of pursuit, we have put together a treasure hunt that we started last week and you picked up the pages that went out to describe the treasure hunt. And our first treasure was hidden in Ovilla. Yeah, and 27 of you found the treasure. Way to go. That's awesome. So I thought we would show a video this morning of where the treasure was in case you couldn't find it or you didn't go look for it and you think, I don't know, that just seems a little weird. Let me show you where the treasure was. Take a look at this video. Everybody, here we are in Ovilla Heritage Park. If you saw the Bible references, Psalm 135 to a heritage. The other clue is from Ephesians chapter 2 about sit. So if you go to this seated area in the back of the park, right up under here is the box. And inside is the QR code. So we'll be in Midlothian. And for our next treasure hunt, we hope you'll be in pursuit. So today when you leave, you can pick up the page that has the Bible clues for this week. All right, so what you can do is you can take that page. There are Bible references there to help you know where the next treasure is hidden. And it's hidden in Midlothian. Now, Midlothian is a lot larger than Ovilla, so there's a lot more opportunities, a lot more verses. This past week, we had two verses you looked up. And if you knew anything about Ovilla, you pretty, pretty much knew where it was going to be. This week, it's Midlothian. This week, more verses. In fact, 10 verses that will help you. I put more because you'll see when you pick it up, it'll be easy for you. All right? So take a look. It's, the box has already been hidden. It is in place right now. So we had some folks that as soon as church was over last week, they were gone. They were out the door to go find that treasure. You're welcome to do that. Pick up the page on your way out today. And then when you open that box and the QR code is there, get your phone's camera pointed at it and a, a link will come up and you'll enter your name there because you'll, your name will go into a drawing that we'll have at the end of the series for $100 in gift cards. All right, so take a look today. It's Midlothian. Next week we'll be in Waxahachie and the week after that, Midlothian. Again, Midlothian's a big place, right? All right, so that is all to help us with this idea of pursuit. Jesus came in pursuit of us and he came in pursuit of that which is and has been lost. Now, let's just go ahead and get relevant and real and say every week, if you are watching what's happening in the culture, it seems pretty obvious that something has been lost. Amen? Amen. This week, even more evidence, something has been lost. When a person is able to walk into a school with a gun and kill innocent children and teachers, something is wrong. Not just that he was able to do that, but that he had in him a desire to do that. Something is wrong. That is the greater wrong. Now, I know when people look at situations like this, you look at other tragedies, you look at events in the world where it is obvious that the will of God is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. In those moments, there's a lot of speculation about why did this happen? What caused this? And I get it. There's a need for some of that. Usually in situations like that, like the one this week, we start hearing things like, well, there was a broken home. There was drug abuse. There was video game 
clay. There was, you name it, uh, weapons, home situation, emotional disturbance, mental disturbance, history of violence, history of abuse. You hear all that, right? We hear all of those things. And people want to blame situations like this on a gun, on the laws, on the government, on emotional instability, on the parents, on the grandparents. And those may need to be addressed. But what is rarely ever addressed is that this was not primarily a gun problem, an emotional abuse or an emotional disturbance or a mental disturbance. This was a spiritual disturbance. But you don't hear that talked about in the culture today. When that kind of evil takes place, when any kind of evil takes place, I recognize that we are born with hearts that are separated from God. I recognize that our hearts are dark and bent toward evil, but this kind of evil came from a different place. And even acts of evil like this come from a spiritual place first. They come from a presence of evil, a spiritual evil. And it reveals in our culture and often in the church that we're willing to point fingers at a lot of places except the root cause that there is a spiritual problem. There is a spiritual problem in our nation today. The problem that lies before us is not primarily political, governmental, crime, uh, whatever you want to name it. The problem is spiritual at the root. And until we, the church, Learn to put back together life as it was intended with Jesus at the center and the foundation and realize that all of life starts with that which is spiritual, we're going to keep missing the problem. And we'll just be standing on the sideline wondering, what is going on? No, we are the people of God who have been given wisdom from God in his word, by his spirit. We have been told what the issue is. When the heart of a people have grown cold and turned against their God, there will be all sorts of evil in the land. And so we have to get back to this place where we deal with truth, where we deal with the circumstances of life and recognize they are first and foremost spiritual. For example, if we go back to the situation this week, I don't know much about the young man I'm starting to hear reports as you are. It gets very confusing after a while. It makes it real easy to lean towards some conspiracies that are floating about as well. I don't know all of the answers at this point. But what I do know is this. Life has struggle in it. Amen? Pain happens. Loss happens. Tragedy happens. Abuse happens. And in those moments, the enemy is whispering and he's looking for anyone who will agree with him, who will make an agreement that you see God has turned against you. You see you can't trust God. You see you need to take matters in your own hands. You see You've been hurt. You need to hurt. You see, you need to follow this path of destruction. This is what the enemy's doing. He's whispering, and he starts yelling for anybody who will listen to a whisper, and he's looking for someone who will agree with him. Because the minute you agree with him in your hurt, you'll pretty soon align yourself under exactly what he wants you to do. Whoever you make an agreement with, you will soon make an alignment with. When you agree with what the enemy says about evil, you'll soon align with what the enemy wants you to do about evil. The enemy's looking for that. Who will align with him? And then, once you've agreed, once you've aligned, the next thing you'll do is you will act and you act under his authority and you get 
people doing incredibly evil and immoral things because it started with an agreement. It led to an alignment and it caused them to act under his authority. That is what's happening in our culture today. There's a rejection of God. There is a rejection of truth. There is a rejection of Jesus in the culture. Let me show you by use of the diagrams here what Jesus intended, what God intended even in the Old Testament for his people and for life. God has always had a people and he's always wanted to use them to show the nations what it looks like when his people live with him at the center, at the foundation. Not an add-on, not a religious piece, not something we run to in our troubles, but something that we evaluate the entirety of life by. Amen? So here is why it should look. Jesus intended for us to live with him as the foundation of all things. He is not just Lord of Sunday. He's not just Lord of the church. He is Lord over all. And those who come to him are intended to live with him being Lord over all. He is Lord over your home, your marriage, your family, your children, your parenting, your training of them, your education of them, your business, how you make income, how you spend your money, where you give your money, what you spend your time doing in your hobbies, how you work in the culture, how you relate to people. Jesus intended for us to know life and know it more abundant. And the only way you get there is having him as the foundation of life. When you do that, then you recognize that life is first and foremost spiritual. We've done this crazy thing over the years in our nation and around the world where we've separated the spiritual from the reality of life. Spiritual belongs on Sunday. Spiritual belongs in the church. It doesn't have anything to do with my business, my interests, my thoughts, my entertainment, my relationships. Yes, it has everything to do with that. When you recognize that when there are spiritual issues, it causes all sorts of issues, then you can find resolve to those issues. If you go back to our series we just finished, The Cross Heals, we discovered together that even some of the things that we struggle with physically start from a spiritual foundation. And if you, if you allow and agree with the enemy and allow bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment to be in your heart, I can almost promise you you're gonna have struggle in your emotions, your thoughts, and your body. You will have dis-ease in every one of those areas and it starts with the spiritual. And when you get resolved there, many people, when they get resolved there, when they find that God has forgiven them in Christ and they apply that forgiveness to others who have offended them, they find healing in their spirit, healing in their emotions, healing in their mind, and healing in their body even. Because life is first and foremost spiritual. God intended us to live as the church. This is what takes so much undoing in our heads today. Because again, it's so common to think of church as that thing you do on Sunday. Church is that one time you gather. Church is that place where you go act like you've got it all together. Wrong on all parts. We are the gathering, the people of God, and this is the church, the assembly, and we have a church building, but the building is a church because the people of God gather in it. Hello? This is what makes this place a church because the people of God are gathered in it to worship, to learn, to follow our head, Jesus, the head of the church. And he designed this to be a priority for us. This is not an add-on, a piece that if we have time for, we might consider doing. No, this is who we are. You are members of the body of Christ. You're not members just on Sunday. You are members of the body of Christ all week long. And we have to function as a body together under our head, moving together. And the intention is that there be local bodies like ours where we function together in health and life under the direction of our head. God intended then that family be formed from all of these understandings, that there be 
older women who teach the younger women how to live out in their family what they, when they gather as the church, what is spiritual with the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is how we are designed to live, that older men would teach younger men how to be husbands and fathers and those who work hard and we're in fellowship together and we teach together and we train together and we spend time together, we pray for one another, we band together as brothers and we become a family of God and we base our families based on the family of God. This is the intention, the structure that God designed for us. And then that based on all of these things, then we would understand things like education and science and medicine, and we could go on and on, all of the aspects of culture. They are built on the foundation that life is spiritual. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you went to see your doctor, and before he asked you what your physical symptoms were, he asked you about your spiritual health? Man, that'd be refreshing, wouldn't it? He would also see a lot more people healed when he did because there's a lot of issues that we all deal with physically that have a spiritual root that we get a medicine applied to that just elongate the problem and stretch it all out that you often need another medicine to cover that medicine symptoms and this medicine for that medicine when if you could just solve the spiritual problem sometimes it would relieve all of the other issues as well. Hello? It's true. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Every physical issue is a spiritual root problem. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that many Many physical issues have spiritual roots to them. And if we could resolve the spiritual issues first, we could resolve many of the spirit, many of the physical, emotional, and mental and relational issues. Amen? Education, science. Science is not in competition with the Bible or Jesus. Science just hadn't caught up yet to the reality of Jesus and the Bible. And when it doesn't line up with it, I'm going to go with the Bible every time. This is God's design. And even government and law is to reflect the reality of Jesus first. The Bible first. The spiritual first. This is not at the top because it's more important. This is at the top of this chart because it's the least important of all of these. Hello? Come on now. We're not going to solve society's ills by creating more laws. We'll solve society's ills when more people surrender their heart to Jesus Christ. I'm all for laws. I'm all for government. God's for government. God's for laws. He wrote some of them, if you haven't noticed. But the all-encompassing point, even that Jesus said was the greatest of all the commandments and all the laws, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest you help someone understand the love of God for them and love him in return. You help someone know how to love their neighbor and you help someone know how to, listen to me carefully, love themselves because that's what the second commandment said. When you understand and love the creation that God made you instead of stop hating the creation that God made, then you will learn to live and have health in your life and relationships and things will begin to find their proper order. This is the order that God intended. This has been lost. Hello? We don't see many working models of this in cities, cultures, sadly in many families or many churches even across our world today. Instead, there is another model that is often what we see. And it is a model that doesn't have Jesus at the bottom. It has man at the bottom. And this is not a female, male issue. I'm talking about the creation of humanity. I'm just using man because God uses man in the Bible. Hello? Please don't think I'm out to offend genders this morning. Man in this other form, this other way of life, this other worldview, this other perspective is the core. He's the foundation. There is no God. Man is God. There is no Jesus. Man is his own savior. Man is the redeemer. Man is the creator. Man is the sovereign one. Man is the righteous one. Man is the good one. Man is the, the holy one in this model. You know what's second in this model? Government and law. Man says, 
We will decide for ourselves what is right. We will decide what marriage is. We will decide what genders are. We will decide what's immoral and what's not. And we will make our laws based on that. And it will be our goal to cause everyone to conform to our laws. It doesn't matter what you want in terms of freedom. It doesn't matter. You have to conform to the laws that man has made because man makes the laws and the laws are what shape man. This is the other model. And so on top of this, then you get education, then you get science, then you get medicine, and we could go on here with business and other areas. This is what they then build upon. Man is the center of this. Man was not created, man evolved. Man did not, uh, or God did not create all things. Man created all things. We evolved into some process here and the highest life form in the evolutionary scale is man, not God. And so you have a completely different way of life being built here. And family takes a back seat to all of this. You see it in education today. Educational systems want to say, we own your children, we educate your children. Parents, back off. We'll tell you when you can have them, when you can't have them. We'll tell you what, no, we won't tell you what we're gonna teach them. We'll keep that secret, we'll keep it hidden, we'll do what we want, and if you get in the way, we'll have you removed. This is the system that's developing today, a man-centered system. Now, I want you to pay careful attention here because I have drawn a separation between that box and this flow here because up here is where Jesus, all things spiritual, uh, or, or even the Bible, I'll put Bible. We could put church here, but they've long removed church out of the picture. There is no church. There is no God. There is Jesus, and there are things that are spiritual, and there are things Bible, but, you know, if they contradict this, we go with this. This really gets left out. This, the culture says, we don't talk about very much. And so when problems start to develop under this model, the model that's broken, the model that's out of sorts, the model that has been tainted, that is a distortion of what God intended, when there are problems in this model, the go-to is blame. And the blame model says, oh, it's the God fault. Oh, it's people who keep claiming this is spiritual. Oh, it's those who hold to biblical values. Oh, it's the church, and they must be removed. And family, if, it, if, it's, if, you, if you can't align, you're gonna be part of the problem too, and we'll have you canceled, we'll have you removed, because we will not interrupt our holy trinity of man on earth. This is their view. In the Christian worldview, problems happen. Life happens. The world is still under the curse of sin. How do we handle problems? What is our calling? What are we supposed to do? When something goes wrong, when we fail, when someone hurts us, when tragedy happens, when something gets out of sorts, the calling of the Christian is to repent. If something is out of sorts, if something is broken, then there is sin somewhere and it must be repented of and there must be a return all the way back down here to Jesus and rebuild Rebuild the foundations. Return to what is true. Return to life that is spiritual first. Return to life that puts the kingdom of God above all other things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is the life that has been lost. This is what has been lost. This is what Jesus came to seek and save because that has been lost. And the church is called to be the ones who proclaim the good news. The Old Testament told us that Jesus would come. The Old Testament talked about a Savior who would come. The Old Testament prophesied and said, oh, there's one coming and, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting father. He'll be the prince of peace. And of, of his rule and his reign, 
there will be no end. In fact, the government of this new kingdom will be upon his shoulders and there will be no end to it. That is what Jesus came to seek and save because it had been lost. So Jesus did that. He came and lived out and showed us this is life. This is what kingdom looks like. And when the world rejected him, rather than him lash out, he laid down his life so that we might have a way to come into the kingdom so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have peace with God. And he died and he rose again on the third day, gained a name that is above all names so that you and I could know life. And then he turned to his disciples before he returned to heaven and he put in the hands of his disciples the responsibility for being and leading this kingdom. And in doing so, he gives that same call to us. Now, if you've got your Bible or a Bible app, turn to Matthew 28. We're going to see the last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples. Because what he has to say here is significant. It's the last thing that Jesus says. It's the last thing that will help replace the broken model with the new model on earth. It's what you and I have been called to. Matthew 28, we're starting in verse 19. If you've been around the church for a while, you'll know these verses as what many have called the Great Commission the great directive, the great mandate that we have as the church. So here's verse 19. Here's what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at what he says here. He says, go. I want you to go. I'm not calling you to huddle I'm not calling you to run. I'm not calling you to isolate. I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to go to other peoples. I'm calling you to go into groups where there are other religions. I'm calling you to go to places where they serve other gods. I'm calling you to go to where people are held captive. I'm calling you to go to where people are enslaved to their sin and they're enslaved to wrong ideas and they're enslaved to this way of life. Jesus says, you must go. And he says, when you go, make disciples. He didn't say just make a convert. Get someone to pray a prayer. He said, go, and when you go, talk with people, share the good news of the kingdom, and teach them how to be a disciple. That's different than just someone who prays a prayer. Someone, anybody can pray a prayer. But to walk and turn away from the life you used to live and walk in a new path and say, now I am a follower of Jesus. I will do what I do in pursuit of him. I will rearrange everything in my life to follow him. That is a disciple, someone who's in the process of continually learning. And Jesus called his disciples to go make disciples. And he said, do this of all the nations. Man, this is a big old picture, big old vision. He didn't say, hey, just go to your neighbor when you get home. And I mean, if they come out in the yard at the same time you do, maybe you have a conversation, maybe you don't. No, he gave them the directive. Go, make disciples of the nations. We're going far beyond us, far beyond our culture, far beyond what's comfortable. And he said, baptize them. Do you know what it takes to be baptized? It takes someone willing to say in front of other people, I believe in and follow Jesus. And that might be, Somewhat easier right here, but in some cultures, to be baptized is also a license to be killed because you're putting your faith on the line. You're declaring you believe in Jesus Christ, and that could bring an end to your life. And Jesus said, I want you to go and make public declarations of belief in me. Make disciples, baptize them, and baptize them in the, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus went on in verse 20, he said this, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teach them. Show them how to live. Show them what life looks like in the kingdom. 
Show them how that plays out in marriage. Show them how that works in family. Show them how that works in culture. Teach them the things that I've taught you. Teach them about being humble. Teach them about giving. Teach them about serving. Teach them about but being the salt and being the light. Teach them how to be the people of God on planet Earth. Teach them all those things. Teach them. Put them together in groups. Put them in your families and teach them. Teach them. Teach them. Jesus made a promise and he said, I'm with you always. You're not going to see me for a while, but I'm with you. Even to the end of the age. Now, that would be powerful enough. Just that mandate, just that directive for us as the church, so much bigger than just a Sunday morning gathering. To properly understand the depth of what Jesus said here, we really have to do a little backtrack. We have to tell the story before this story. Now, I want to back up here in just a moment, and I want us to see what happens immediately before Jesus gives this great commission. As great as it is, if you don't understand what he said in the two verses prior to it, you will miss the power and the strength of what Jesus said. So let's back up. We rewind to verse 16, and we find, I'm sorry, verse 18, and we find this, that Jesus came and he spoke to them, the disciples. He called the disciples together, and he told them a very specific place to meet. And he said, I've got something I want to say to you. I'm about to leave this earth. I want to tell you something. I'm not going to tell you just what to do. I'm going to tell you a big, bold truth. Here's what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus said, I'm about to tell you something, but before I tell you, you must understand this. I have now been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And you might think, did he not have authority before this moment? I thought he was the God-man. He was God, but he came as man. And Jesus, as the God-man, gained authority because he lived like you and I. He walked through what you and I went through and go through. He experienced temptation, and he remained righteous through it all. He gained authority because he was the Lamb of God who was sinless when he went to the cross. And in dying sinless and resurrected for us, he gained authority. He gained authority that was different than what he had before. Let me tell you some areas that Jesus gained authority. Jesus gained authority over your sin. Did he not have authority before? He had authority in heaven. But by taking your sin into himself and paying for it and making that payment to the Father and the Father accepting it, Jesus can now say what he wants to say about our sin. And so if he says to you because you've repented, your sin is forgiven, he has the authority to do that. No one else had authority to do that. The Pharisees didn't have authority to do that. Random religious leaders didn't have the authority to do that. But Jesus gained the authority to speak freedom to you from the guilt of your sin. Come on now, does that not do something for you? That Jesus could speak and say, you, because you have confessed me, repented of your sin, and you believe in me, I call you loved, accepted, and forgiven, freed from ever having to pay for your sin. Come on now. Does that not mean something to you? He gained the authority to do that at the cross. He also gained authority over death. Because he died and he rose again after that death. 
He conquered death. And so for everyone who puts their faith in him, he can say, death will not hold them. Death cannot keep them. They belong to me and I have authority over them and death. So now when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You don't go to some holding tank. You don't go to some big arena where you await for your sins to be played on a screen where you somehow see if you've had enough good things to outweigh the bad things. No, your sin was paid for, remember? He said that about you. And to die is to go immediately to be with the Lord if you are his child. He has authority over your sin, over death. He also has authority over every evil spirit. He can say, be gone. And he does say, he can say, child of God, be free. He can say, depart from them, you evil spirit. Jesus conquered every evil spirit. He did not give in to their temptations, their urges, their accusations, their threats. He gained authority and power over them. He has the power over them. And he is the head of the church today. He gained that authority. So we gather here today, not because we're trying to make ourselves look good to God, but we gather here today because we know who has authority in heaven. Amen. He has all authority. So we worship him as king. I'm not trying to impress him today. I'm here to simply love him for what he's done. He's impressed me. That'll change your worship. I really hope you didn't come today just to try to work off some brownie points with God. He doesn't give brownie points. Sorry. What he gives are called blessings. They're a lot bigger than brownie points. And they don't come to those who are good enough, righteous enough, impressive enough. No, they come to those who will believe that he is Lord. He's gained authority. He's gained authority in heaven. He's gained authority on earth. He said it. He has authority over the circumstances of our lives. Your life is not random. Your life is not controlled by your boss. Your wife is not, oh. And your husband is not. Come on. The government is not the authority. There is one who has control over all things. And he is the one who is working all things, all things, all things together. He is Lord of Lords. He is Lord over all presidents, over all kings, over all governments, over all who think they are something. He is Lord of all, amen? He has gained that authority. He's authority over his church. He has the power to lead us. He is the one who is unstoppable. He is the one who is undefeatable. He is the one who is unhindered. He is the one who is unmatched. And he is the one who is unyielding. He will accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. The events of this day do not indicate that Jesus has somehow slipped from the throne. He's still very much on the throne and has a purpose and is at work today. And he's looking for those who will trust him and believe that. This is our Jesus. And he's looking for those who will agree with that, come in agreement with that, align themselves with that, and act on that under his authority. We live in a world today, however, that wants to compartmentalize and move out Jesus into some area over here. They want to go through life with him not here. Don't tell me everything to do, Jesus. Not everything is spiritual. It's more science-based. It's more just factual. It's more just circumstantial. Church and Jesus, they're kind of a side feature. And I'll go there if I can't figure out life. I'll go there if I can't make it through on my own. I'll go there if I'm hurting. No, if you live compartmentalized today, you are not in agreement that Jesus is Lord over all. If you're compartmentalizing Jesus as some side gig that you carry around in case things don't go well for you, 
you are living with him not being authority over all. If you are living unsurrendered to him today, you are living with him not in authority over all. You were saying, no, I have authority, not you, Jesus. I'll choose what I want to do, not you. I'll choose where I want to go, not you. I'll do what I want to do. I'll keep you in my pocket for the days that I can't make it through it. But surrendering, yielding, changing my priorities, following you, no. And this is where we get to where we are today. This is what happened in our culture today. And we can't blame it all on the culture. We have to start with the church. We have to start with us, not living in alignment and agreement and action of this promise right here that all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. He calls us to agree, to align and act on this truth, to seek first the kingdom, to raise our children knowing the kingdom, to build our homes like the kingdom, to be the church who shouts the good news of the kingdom to present the gospel, to make disciples, to go, be visionary, and set the captives free. We're to operate under his authority. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give to you the keys of the Kingdom, not Honda. Kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples and he says to us, I give you the keys to the kingdom. I am going back to my father. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And whoever holds the keys gets to open the door. I have keys to all the doors in the church. I get to open them all if I want. If you don't have the keys, you can't open them. Simple truth. Jesus said to you, people of God, disciples, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And I want you to open the door. I want you to bind some things, put them together. I want you to loose some things, break them apart. You have the keys, now act on that. The one who has authority has given the keys and says, now act on that. Stop acting like the world has authority. Stop acting like you have authority. Stop acting like the enemy has authority. You have been given the authority because Jesus has the authority and he's given us the keys. Amen? There are some spirits that need to be bound today. There are spirits of fear that are at work in our world today. They need to be bound. What needs to be unlocked and loosed is a spirit of boldness. There is a spirit of fear amongst Christians today. They're watching the Goliath of the world and they are turning and running in, in a spirit of fear. And they say, well, we don't have the size that it does. We don't have the weapons that it does. We don't have the, the experience that it does. That doesn't matter. God called David to face a giant that was physically outclassing him, but David had within him a spirit that outclassed the giant. And he said, now face that giant in the name of the Lord. So today, it's time the church recognizes spirit of fear and bind that spirit so that he no longer has impact on us and loose a spirit of boldness within us. It's time that we bind spirit of doubt. Doubt is not a function of your mind. Doubt is not a function of you just being so smart you can't figure it all out or not smart enough to figure it all out. Doubt is a function of your spirit. And if you have a spirit about you of doubt, you will question everything. That's not your mind. That's not your high school degree, your doctorate, or whatever you got. 
That is a function of your spirit, and that spirit needs to be bound in our world today and in the church. Instead, there needs to be a spirit loosed of great faith. God, I'll trust you in spite of the circumstances. You haven't put this event in front of me that's bigger than me so that I can do it on my own. You put it in front of me then be bigger than me so I would trust you in it. May we have that kind of spirit and unloose or may loose that spirit within us. There is a spirit of guilt that racks the church today. We talk about Jesus dying for our sin, paying for our sin, and many Christians will walk out of churches still beat down. Well, I've just had such a miserable life. I've just done so many bad things. I just don't think God could use me. I mean, maybe he likes me, maybe he doesn't. Hey, if he paid for your sin and died for your sin and you believe he forgave your sin, you're free. Quit living in that spirit of guilt. Quit living in that spirit of heaviness. Quit living in that spirit of you've got to somehow perform enough to be loved enough. Stop all that. That's a spirit that's from the enemy. Stop listening to the spirits of accusation that want to beat you up and keep you from trusting God and walking in peace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's time to bind that spirit of guilt and loose a spirit of freedom. Our staff prays for that. I pray for that for us. That we would be a church that is free. Free to love God. Free to serve him. Free to express our worship. Free to be passionately involved in using the gifts and talents he's given us. Those are spirits that must be bound and must be loosed. A spirit of anger must be bound in our day. That controls men and women and young people. A spirit of anger that causes someone to pick up a gun and hurt innocent people. That's a spirit before it's a thought. That's a spirit before it's an emotion. That's a spirit before it's an action. And it is the church's responsibility under the authority of Jesus Christ to bind those spirits and to loose instead a spirit of peace. It's our responsibility to bind a spirit of resistance. A spirit that says, uh, I don't know. That all seemed just a bit much extreme to me. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to yield. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to give. I don't want to surrender my life. I don't want to give all that up. That is a spirit that's infecting churches today, a resistance. I will do what I want, not what you want, God. I'll measure out a little bit. I'll keep you as a side gig over my pocket for when I need you, but I resist the move of the Holy Spirit for me to worship. I, I hear it here sometimes. I hear people say, you know, I, I just, in worship, I really just want to lift my hands. I just, I don't know, I just, I just can't do it though. Do you recognize what that is right there? That's not your mental abilities. That's not your emotions. That's a spirit of resistance. Someone say, in a worship service, I hear it at when babies are born. I hear it at anniversaries. I hear it at parties. I hear it at weddings. People say, oh, I just don't want to cry. I just, I really, I just don't want to cry this whole thing. I'm just not going to cry. Really? You're going to resist a move of God in your life and choose to not cry. Do you recognize what that is? That's a spirit of resistance that says, I will not be controlled by anything else but me. Hello? Is this getting way too close to home this morning? I hope so. There's a spirit of pride today that doesn't want to look foolish in front of others. That spirit must be broken by having a spirit of humility unleashed amongst us, loosed. There's a spirit of bitterness in our culture today. You offended me. You hurt me. I'll get you. I'll make you pay. I'll get you back. A spirit of, res of bitterness that must be bound and a spirit of forgiveness that must be loosed. There's so many others. We could go on. But I just want to give some examples of spirits that are at work in our world and there is only one group on the planet who have the keys to bind and loose. They are not always psychologists and counselors and therapists. They are not the medicines that you're sometimes given. Can be, counselors can be, therapists can be, but the spirit is what must be 
broken. And the church has been given that authority to bind and loose some things. It's a new day. It's time for us to recognize what we have been given. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's time for the church to begin to live in that authority. Now, I told you last week about a pastor that I discovered on TikTok recently. The man's name is Russell Johnson. He is in Seattle, Washington. Can you imagine being the church in Seattle today? It's a different kind of spirit in that place. It's a different kind of spirit, different kind of resistance. They were on lockdown up there following COVID probably longer than any other place in the nation. They're up near Canada. Canada's still doing some crazy lockdown stuff and arresting pastors and locking up churches and arresting Christians for just meeting out in a field. And here in Seattle, Washington, this man, Russell Johnson, is boldly proclaiming the gospel. I'm going to show you a clip from one of his messages a year ago. So you got to understand the context. It's in a little bit of shutdown time still. Um, Russell is the pastor of a, a church, interestingly called Pursuit. I will say, uh, if you go check him out and his videos and their church and all that stuff, he does lean a bit more assemblies than me and us as a church. But the way he speaks is what I want you to capture today. I want you to capture and notice the confidence and the authority that he is operating under. And I'll tell you up front, my prayer is for us as a church is that we will grow in some areas of confidence in the authority of Jesus who has authority in heaven and on earth. Not some authority, all authority. Amen? Watch this clip. You can win first place in the Victim Olympics or you can be an overcomer, but you can't do both. And why do all the offended people always find each other in church? Because like spirits attract like spirits. And you can't disciple what you ought to cast out. You can grow from your pain or you can worship your pain, but you can't do both. You can allow scripture to change you or you can change scripture to appease culture, but you can't do both. Uh, Russell, it sounds like you're being a little sarcastic today and, 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 and a little mocking today. Yes, I am. Because some ideas are so bad they are worthy of regular derision in the public square. Elijah mocks the prophets of Baal. Isaiah mocks the idol makers of his day. Jesus mocks the Pharisees in their hypocrisy. Paul mocks the sexual sin of the Corinthians. Peter mocks the Gnostic teachers infiltrating the New Testament church. I am officially mocking the witches and warlocks who thought they controlled this region. I am officially mocking the power-hungry politicians who thought they could shut down this church. I am officially mocking the naysayers and doomdayers who thought our best days were behind us. I am officially mocking the progressive leaders who thought that by abandoning scripture, redefining marriage, and embracing wokeness, they could grow churches and expand their influence. Your plans have backfired. The pit you dug, you have fallen into. Jesus is still on the throne, and his church is advancing by force. If your pastor spent more time appeasing the mob while writing open letters condemning people who didn't agree with their political leanings, then go ahead and stay closed. We'll take it from here. If your spiritual leaders can't even formulate one clear statement on the biblical ethic of life and gender, then go ahead and stay closed. We'll take it from here. If your church spent more time talking about privilege while accusing everyone else of being racist, go ahead and stay closed. We'll take it from here. We don't have time for your foolishness. The days are short. 
and if standing up for biblical orthodoxy burns a bridge, I have matches. We ride at dawn. We got a whole generation of folks who wake up every morning only ever asking one question, what can I be offended about today? And then they take their marching orders from social media or mainstream news. Not me, not here, not now. Choose Christ and have freedom or choose culture and have bondage. Choose church and have community or choose isolation and have oppression. Choose righteousness and have joy or choose sin and have a soul tie. But make no mistake about it, this is a time of choosing. And what I've found is that when the choice is already made, the question is easier to answer. I choose Christ. Woo! Yeah, you see? Woo! You see why I wanted to show that. You see why I've been following him. I don't agree with everything that he teaches or preaches, but I've got a library of books in my office. I don't agree with everybody in those books either. But I agree with this one thing. It is time for the church to stand up and be the church and operate under the authority of Jesus Christ in this world today. Amen? Amen. So that, that is my prayer for us. I'm praying we'll stand up into that kind of authority. It seems to me that over this past year, two years, that the times that God has blessed vertical church the most is when we have stood up and shouted the most clearest message about the truth of God's word. And by God's grace, we will continue that march. We will look for those who want to join us in the process. We will make disciples. We will shout the message. We will use all that God has given us here for his glory. We will invite others to join us in this process. Pursuit Church, they start with one service. They have five services every Sunday. I don't know what's ahead for Vertical Church, but we're making room and making ready because there are people in our area that need to be reached, that need to be won. There are homes that are broken. There are families that are broken. There are people who are broken, and it is time for us to reach out to them and be the church of Jesus Christ to them. Amen? It is time. It is time that we, that we walk into every promise that Jesus said. And if he said, if I am lifted up, and I will draw all men unto myself, then we will be the ones who will choose to lift him up. Amen? We will do so boldly and unashamedly. If he said that he will be in our midst when we gather together, then we will gather together. We will let nothing stop us. If he said that no weapon formed against us will prosper, then we will keep moving even when the weapons are pointed against us. If he's promised that we have been given weapons, that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, then we will use our weapons in our day. We will call down arguments, and we will work to set the captives free right here in Ovilla. Amen? Amen. If you will join me in that process, would you stand this morning with me? We're going to pray. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you? Do you feel a new boldness within your heart today? Do you have a, sense, a greater sense of calling, a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense that you're not going to operate by your own authority? You're not going to operate under the fear of the world's authority? You're not going to operate as though Satan has all authority and be weak? We are going to be the church that operates with Jesus having all authority in heaven and on earth right here. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for hope today. I thank you for confident hope today. We're not just wishing, we are believing we understand and believe together as your church that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And we stand against every spirit of resistance and doubt and fear and resentment and bitterness and insecurity and lust and greed and selfishness that would stand in the way of your gospel going forward. And as your church, we bind them in Jesus' name. And then, Father, we also loose in the name of our Lord Jesus spirits of great boldness and courage and faith and love and forgiveness and freedom and life here within our own church 
that we might be your people, that because you have authority, we might go, we might make disciples, we might teach, we might baptize, we might be the people of God on this earth today who live with you at the center of our lives. We give you all glory today, Father. You're the one who's called us. You're the one who invites us to stand under the authority of our Lord Jesus, and we do so willingly, boldly, and joyfully today. It's in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated.